Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, Internet. I am Jay Goldberg. I'm glad to be here. So this week was, uh, was super interesting. We had teased it out last week, but on the same day, two events happened. One, which was, I don't know, Jay, many people were saying like the... Uh, the the earning shot heard round the world the 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 state of our economy hinging on Nvidia's earnings but you kind of have which which I guess I'll say it this way right on the same day we had who is the not only the the most unprecedented valued com- semiconductor company in history in terms of value we have the bellwether the trendsetter the king of semiconductors in NVIDIA on the same day that the prior most valued semiconductor company, the prior king leader and dominant company in Intel had a, a foundry event. So there's the, uh, the two events, the, 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 the challenger and the current champion, uh, which was a role reversed (laughs) a decade or, or so, (laughs) or so ago. So, um, yeah, so let's so let's so let's dive into it. I I was at IFS uh, IFS Connect, um, which is now that was the name of the event. Uh, IFS was Intel Foundry Services. It is now Intel Foundry. That is that is the name. Um, I, I'll I'll lob out a couple takeaways, and then I'll and then I'll let you ramble. So the first is we have always asked this question, right? Uh, it ha- you know how or you have asked this question and I've tried to say well they're serious and I don't know how much you believed me but there was the are they serious about foundry this time so I've been optimistic that they are from conversations I've had with management I think a, I think a very very clear uh, yes based on several things that they did yesterday a gigantic ecosystem surrounding around them. Rene Haas was there, our friend from ARM, talking about their collaborations with the ARM ecosystem, basically the deep collaboration that they've done so that Intel can make any ARM chip that has already made it TSMC there. You had Synopsys, you had Cadence, you had Ansys, you had a whole host of, of chip design companies, EDA tools say they're ready for 18A, right? And, and this is really the focus of Foundry will be people making on 18A. Now that doesn't preclude them from 20A, uh, Intel 3, um, Intel 4, Intel 7, etc. There will be ways they can work with companies that want to do those somewhat uh, mid-modern nodes. But but really, 18A is it because, um, and in, in case anybody's unclear with this naming scheme, let me just give you the analogy that makes sense. So uh, 20A is roughly two nanometer, so 2.20, 2.0, two nanometer. 18A is 1.8 nanometer, if we're, again, using common terminologies. And then they announced the, the subsequent suppress, uh, successor to 18A, which is 14A, 1.4 nanometer. So the number gives you essentially enter a decimal point w- where it's at. So most people are looking for our 1.8. That's what they're trying to build on with 18A, which would, again suggest that's capacity competitive to TSMC two nanometer. I think that's how, how, how I would look at that. So, so they've brought the tools, they've, they talked like a foundry, which I think again, 
was kind of an important takeaway, right? They said all the right things that you would say if we were listening to a TSMC, Samsung, and or Global Foundries event in terms of product, product roadmap, um, the, all the tools and ecosystems, what's available to customers in terms of tape outs, testing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that's why they did this event. It was the Foundry coming out party and it was to sound like a Foundry. So everybody knows that undeniably they are, they are serious about this. So that was kind of a first, a first step. I think that's good. You know, again, we have said as many oftentimes, this is still a long journey. We, we want to see what happens on 18A and 25A. But but that coming out party, I think, again, they they feel very set up. Their menu is there. Any customer that's made with TSMC or Samsung has everything they need to do this. They just need to keep winning those customers. They announced Microsoft as a customer. They announced an up, up of, I, I don't remember the amount, but now $15 billion of, of lifetime value um, dollar value to uh, to the foundry. We don't know what that means. And annually, that's lifetime. It's up slightly. So again, they they are getting those customers. But bottom line, big big picture, the the, the key top line point. They sound like a foundry now. It's operating like a foundry. It seems to be very unbundled from Intel product. Um, well, again, we'll see proof in the pudding. But it looks like. They addressed some very hard questions that we asked behind the scenes around that. Um, so I take that as a positive first step. If this was truly the day that Intel Foundry was born, I think they've got the right foundation to move forward from here. Okay. Okay. So I did not attend in person. I listened in. And so I missed some of the body language. But um, I would say that I accept that it's a it's a it's a good first step, mm-hmm. coming out debutante moment. Um, but I was I, I walked away a little bit underwhelmed, uh, and I'm and I'm not just being picky here. Let me let me walk through my things that sort of left me unexcited. First off, they only announced Microsoft as a customer. That's one customer, and that's good. But like for months, we've all been debating like who's going to be all the speculation, who their first customer is going to be, who, who you know, where's that going to be? And they, they announced Microsoft, but it wasn't like a big fanfare. It wasn't like, hey, this is the first customer. I mean, they should have had, you know, they should have had like confetti launch from the stage and balloons falling from the rafters. Welcome. It, it was just like, hey, Microsoft's here. Like, and yeah, Microsoft execs got up and said nice things, but it wasn't like, it, it didn't feel exciting. And so I... I kind of wondered about that. Like, left, like mm. nobody seemed that excited about it, including Intel. Like, this is your first customer. Like, take their first dollar, you know, pin frame that first dollar they send you, and, you know, hang that up behind the cash register. The, the there's still rumors that MediaTek and Amazon are out there in the works. Like, I, you know, the MediaTek people were there, said nice things about it. So, yeah, there are other customers out there that they can't announce right, but like. Just wasn't much on the customer side. Yeah. Uh, a, a second concern I had was they didn't announce Chips Act funding, yeah. and I get that that is completely beyond their control. They're dealing with the federal government; it's a lot of money. But it, again, that was missing. Uh, and th- third, they didn't give out the financials. Hmm. 
right? And so we 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 last week we did an episode looking at their financials, and I, I we knew at that point that they weren't going to be releasing financials today at, this week. But all of that, it's like those are three big missing things, and it left me wondering why they didn't why they did the event now. Why not have it two months from now, right? If if you know you know the government is going to be slow, so get everything signed and finalized with the government. And then ask the government, you know, don't put out the press release until two weeks from now or whenever, like in the future. So you can have that. Um, same thing with customers. Like, why don't you have any more customers? Talk about the customers. That's what matters. Wait two months and see who else you can convince to be on stage yeah. with you. Like having three CEOs on stage saying, hey, we're Intel yeah. customers would have been a huge deal. And third, put out the numbers. Yeah. Like, let us see them. Because the numbers are going to be tough. We all know that. Let us sort of mix that in with all the good news. And so, yes, at one level, I'm just kind of quibbling here. Like, I, I, I don't want to be nitpicking, but it does worry me a little bit that this is the old Intel, right? This is Intel relying on its old bad habits where they assume everyone's going to care because it's Intel and they're saying something. And so everyone's going to pay attention and they, they can't take that for granted, right? Not just Intel as a company, but especially Intel Foundry. And so, the, the, the mismatch between whatever was going on at the executive level and the actual mechanics of a marketing event were, were absent in my mind. It could have just been much more coordinated and I think that would have carried a big punch. And it makes me wonder like how, how coherent, how concerted their effort is going to be to really get this thing up and running. Yeah. So those are my big things. All right. Now yeah. I'll, I'll agree that like they, they did have, I mean, it was the ecosystem side was pretty important. They had, Broadcom talking about ASIC services, they had ARM, Synopsys, all those big, important partners lined up. And I don't want to underplay that. That's very important. But that's that's kind of like, uh, you know, your mechanic, your car wash, and your dealership teaming together to talk about what great things. Like, you, you still need the customer. Like, who's going to buy the car? Yeah. So, yeah. Un, under, I, I was underwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be really curious to see. I mean, this is probably first of many. You know, my guess is they'll they'll do a foundry event every twelve ish eighteen months to really talk about momentum. Um, you know, we know the finances are coming. I think we just got to get over this hump right right now. Like you said, the customer one I think is going to be really tricky. Um, you know, we I had some conversations with management. You know, behind the scenes, and I and I knew this because TSMC doesn't release customers either. But you know who they have because the supply chain is leaky. Leaky. So essentially, you know, anybody who has priority status at TSMC that's talking to Intel doesn't want to give that away because they don't want to give up priority status to the degree that anybody that has priority status is, which is a question. But but regardless, um, the good thing is. Over the course of the next few years, whether Intel announces customers or not, and I do hope that they have customers on stage. I mean, when, so when Rene came on, he sort of did the whole, like everybody was kind of like, oh, you know, arms arms on stage with, uh, with, with, with Intel. Like that's just, you know, that's crazy. Who would have thought, right? And, and they were like, it's kind of like this moment. And he, and, and Rene used the whole, like going back to when Steve Jobs, you know, said, hey, uh, or, or brought brought iTunes to Windows, and he was like, "Hell's frozen over" was like the marketing term. Right. But the the real though to me, "Hell's frozen over" moment would be when Jensen's on stage with them at a Foundry event. Yeah, everybody who knows his history with Intel, the 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 weight of that baggage that goes with Jensen and Intel, that's that moment where you're like, "Oh, 
holy crap. That's a, that's a very different, if it ever happens, but, but regardless, um, yeah, the supply chain, I'm, I'm, I guarantee will, will, will leak those customers, whether they did it or not. So we'll, we'll know whether anybody says, but I, I agree with you. I do hope they can have customers on stage saying, this is why we're excited about Intel process technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I, they, they need that. Okay. And they just need a point two. Uh, like, let's I, like go, I, let's go like, into I, the I, other, I, other point. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so I say, yeah. So say, let's let's let me jump into point two, and then have you have you give me your what you're not going to tell me, but I know is prepared <laughs> remark to this statement. Okay. So, I, I I think it's become more clear to me, and I I toured Intel's advanced packaging facility you know, in the end of last year or fall of last year, but I think now I firmly kind of understand that that they are. I don't want to say betting the foundry farm. But to a, a huge degree, they are they're leaning very heavily on the bias that the next 10 years, the future of chip design will be complex systems of chips in a package. So not systems on, on a chip, so not SOCs, but systems of chips in a package, so chiplets, with advanced packaging, yielding very, very large packages, not dyes, but, but packages, on and challenging the uh, traditional constraints of design, supply chain, substrates, etc. So, so they are. That's why they they use this language. We are positioning ourselves as a systems foundry for the AI era. So again, their bias is: as we move to AI, you're going to need a completely different way to make these chips. You're going to architect them differently. You're going to build them differently. And so they're they're betting that. That, that that's the case. And, and I do know, like I, they are well ahead in advanced packaging and advanced chiplet infrastructures than TSMC. So they have that di- highly differentiated advantage for any customers who want to use them. Again, you got to make a pretty big jump to move from TSMC to Intel, although they're the only packaging, uh, advanced packaging facility that can dual source, meaning you could make your wafers at TSMC, bring them to Intel, and they will patch them together as long as you design with EMIB um, in mind and, and some of their, their bonding techniques. But all that aside, my point is that's their bias. Now, they could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, we, we don't know where the future goes. Is the future monolithic? Is the future uh, disaggregated design and chiplets? I mean, I tend to think there's a lot of logic to that. But, and, and here's the point I'll make, and then you go. The analogy that then I think comes becomes interesting is that TSMC won the mobile era. They won monolithic. They were the default choice for you to go and design monolithic chips for on their wafers. Intel, I think, is trying to say, we are trying to set ourselves up for this next era by being that choice. If you want to go and make these advanced systems on a chip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we will make those investments at a rate far more than TSMC has. They'll go through those hard learnings. They'll they'll do what they need to do in advanced packaging, et cetera. TSMC can shift CapEx, but again, very highly still focused on monolithic in their in their volume. So so that's the analogy. Could Intel be in this next 10-year era of advanced AI, different chips, the right play the same way that TSMC was in mobile. So that's the thesis, that's their bias, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And 
wherever TSMC falls into that as they again continue to do advanced packaging is the question. But I think it's I think it's a worthy a worthy bias, I guess, analogy. They got to make a bet somewhere. That's where they've made it. I didn't want to go to the prom. It's not that I couldn't get a date. It's that I didn't want sure. to go. Sure, sure. That that's that's my response to that. I've, I've been right. I, I, we call this a, a you know a debutante a, you know coming out party. Uh, they they didn't want to go to the last one. It, it wasn't that they weren't ready. They couldn't get their act together. They just didn't want to go. I mean, I I um. So yeah. So I don't quite accept the analogy. I, I get what they're making. And I do agree the packaging is very important. Uh, and sure, they're ahead of TSMC on packaging. We, we can debate how far ahead and what that means. But TSMC, for, for starters, is no slouch in packaging, right? They're like the, the biggest problem in the world right now is NVIDIA can't get enough of their yeah. packaging. <clears throat> so, but it's it's good. So that's, that's one issue. Uh, two... Like Intel didn't lose, wasn't in mobile because they weren't trying. They lost it because they just couldn't execute. And what is supposed to give me confidence that this time around they'll get it right? It, now, in fairness, Pat is a very different CEO than the ones they had in the past. And they've certainly shown a lot of signs of improving their technical chops. Uh, but I'm not sure that. It's, it's, it's very early to, to make that analogy, and I don't think it's quite saying what they, they think it's saying. Like, I'll tell you, my, my biggest concern overall, and this harkens back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, is about their mis, misallocated marketing for the event. My big concern is that you have all the execs, you have Pat and Stu and a bunch of other people from the Foundry side, the top level, smart people doing the right things, saying the right things. The problem with Intel for years, though, has been the middle, the culture of the whole company. And I, I get that the execs want to make this transition and packaging is going to be really important and they're going to sell that hard and push that hard and systems of chips. That's the big thing. You know, it, it can they mm -hmm. actually deliver that on the ground through whatever number 10 layers of Intel culture and management that is resistant to change and has been resistant to change, right? Now, Pat, Pat's done a good job of shifting the organization, but it's a it's a big shift. And I, I'm, I am just, from what I've seen so far, I'm not convinced that we're anywhere close to that process, which makes me, you know, a little hesitant to get on, fully on board with their, their new mantra. Yeah. So I think there's, there's two things. I think the reality is, I firmly believe if Qualcomm or MediaTek came to them and said, we want wafer-scale production of monolithic designs on 18A, they could do that. The reality is they're not going to do that because they've got what they need in TSMC. So regardless of whether Intel can, which I believe they can, they say they can, and commentary from said Qualcomm's of the world and MediaTek's would suggest that, sure, that's an option. I just don't think they're going to. I don't think those wafer-scale customers are going to leave, leave TSMC with this point in mind as long as, A, they're still a preferred TSMC customer, and did I say A or 1? Either way, B, <laughs> the uh, the they design monolithic. Intel can do it 100%, but so can TSMC. That's not the differentiator, in my opinion. 
The differentiator is these advanced designs, these complex designs. So, so whoever, whenever that is, that we, we have exhausted the capabilities of monolithic, and that will happen at some point. Apple, et cetera, everybody will do that. TSMC will have to be in a position to service those customers in the same way that Intel's positioning themselves. Um, that, that will happen at some point. But there's a lot of people who want to do that today. Obviously, Intel, as that client with Granite Rapids and what's coming, crazy amounts of sophisticated technology going into those things. Ridiculous compute. At, I'll add, a point that I appreciated that came out of this because I have pushed back on Intel saying Moore's Law is not dead for the many years that they've said that because Pat came back and said that day one. My, my beef with it has always been that you, you, you are not acknowledging the economic part of Moore's Law, that it should become economically more viable to do this, right? Or at least as an initial investment comes, it should subsidize. They went out of their way to make a point. <laughs> this is, I, I have to point this out because it's funny, right? It was for the last, when Pat came back, it was Moore's Law is not dead. Then on Wednesday, it was the economics of Moore's Law are back. And I was like, well, why weren't they back four years ago? Like, this was the situation, but they're back now. Okay, let's just un- unwind that for a second because that'll happen. I-, I do believe that this part is true, that chiplets do bring back an economic advantage back to manufacturing. It- it's at least efficient, if not beneficial, if you look at a whole host of the deep tech analysts that have been doing transistor cost, density designs, et cetera. People believe that. So there's an economic part of this that comes back that I don't think we fully wrestled with as a potential option for Intel to become attractive from a cost standpoint as well as more of these things mature. So again, we won't know that for a couple of years, but they did go out of their way in, in some of our backroom conversations to show how the economics play out toward bringing back Moore's Law's economic part, but it's not with monolithic. I think that's the point. Monolithic designs are not economically friendly. Uh, chiplets become much more so as the, as the disaggregated designs, you're only using, you know, uh, you're using many wafers for many different chips across the system. So I appreciated that because, like I said, that's been my sticking point when you say Moore's Law is not dead. You're not addressing the economic point. And now, all of a sudden, the economics of Moore's Law are, are back because, because of this. So, so, so I, I appreciate that, that element of wherever we go from here. But, but anyway, point is, I don't think Intel's differentiated monolithic. That's my point. That's, that's why, to your answer, they, they just they make, it doesn't make as much sense there. So fine, they're just not going to get those customers. Their hope is they get everybody once they, or, or they get a lot of business once they start thinking about all these different types of designs that TSMC is not actually currently investing in doing at scale like Intel is. You, you had me there almost to the end. But because I was basically, I was going to say we can stop recording. I agree with everything you said. Um, I, no, I, I think I think one it is it is a very smart strategy on Intel's part to play up technical innovation. That's that's yeah. how they're going to survive this. If right. they can really deliver right. on all those things, the packaging, the backside power, get all around, whatever, all all that stuff, go down the list. 
that's how they're going to, that's how they're going to get pushed through this. They're going to have to lead with that. That's the real competitive advantage. And I think they've, they've held on to that talent. They still have immense capabilities. So that's the right strategy. I think I only quibble with, or I question TSMC's response to this because TSMC is not a lightweight when it comes to this stuff. I think it's fair. And that's fair. And, and I, it, it, it is an interesting point to say that they're, you know, they are fairly committed to old, not old technologies, but like they have to be the, the monolithic, yeah. what you call the monolithic path. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that limits their ability to innovate as well. I'm, they're working on a lot of, a lot of these things too. It's very hard, but you know, TSMC has yep. at this point, a lot of credibility when it comes to technical innovation. They, they yep. come about it very differently. It's not yep. going to be as dramatic as Intel is going, you know, five nodes in four years. It's a huge jump, which yep. is very exciting. TSMC doesn't have to move at that nope. pace. They just Agreed. have to increment steadily. Agreed. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard. So maybe it takes them a little bit longer. Yeah. I think it will be very interesting to see how this plays out sort of in the last couple of years of this decade, 27, 28, when yep. these things are actually production worthy and in the market. Yeah. Yep. And I think then that gets into sort of customer dynamics, which are interesting, right? Because you, you, you sort of touched on this. No, none of the big fabulous companies are going to be in a hurry to raise their hand and say, we're an Intel customer because that risks jeopardizing their relationship with TSMC, right? AMD and NVIDIA in particular, who are you know almost entirely dependent on TSMC, uh, have, have very little to gain by saying, oh, we're going to go with, we're going to go with Intel because they already get the best pricing from well, the Absolutely. second best pricing after Apple, Absolutely. Right? And so who, who's going to like really step up? And, and, you know, there's a little bit of irony in this because for years, Intel treated the channel this way, saying, oh, you want to look at an ARM server CPU? Well, we're going to cut your allocation for the next part. Yep. So channel control is a real thing. Intel is aware of it. There's a, there's a great irony in that. Now they're facing this from the other side when they're trying to break into Foundry. But there's signs of movement, right? The fact that MediaTek is anywhere near Intel on this is, I think, really telling because MediaTek and TSMC have deep, deep bonds that go back 40 years, 30 years. Like, and they're those a pro- two top priority. Are, yeah, they're still a top priority. Right? Yep. Right. And so I, th- I think, though, wh- it's, it's interesting because MediaTek, it used to be, uh, well, it still is. It's a, it's, you know, it's a top 10, top five customer for TSMC, top but five. They're, they're way behind. They're way, up, they're way behind the top three. Right? There's a big yep. gap. Yep. Right. And so, and that's because the, that side of the market has moved much faster than MediaTek side of the market. And so for MediaTek to be sitting here saying, hey, wait a second, we're a little bit unhappy with TSMC. Maybe not unhappy, but at least unhappy sure. enough to signal that they want to look at IFS yeah. is, is telling. Right. Yep. And so yep. how those customers and those channel relationships play out right. is going to be a, a, an important dynamic. But to, to for, none of that will happen until we actually get production yeah, for probably 18A underway for external customers. Yes, which is what two years away now still. So, Tw- yeah, 25, 26. Right, and so my, m- yeah. so my guess is, I, my guess is that none of the major wafer scale customers sign up flagship leading edge parts. Leading edge is not the right word. But sort of major major parts. None of those go to IFS for 18A. I think 14A is starting to sound like where the real fight will be. Yeah. Right. And if you see, like, if you see like a Qualcomm Snapdragon 
800 series or whatever they're called that yeah. yeah in 2027 going to ifs that's 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 what they should be targeting right a yep. big big volume platform yep and we just won't know that for i mean we won't even be able to nobody will even be, to, be able to assess it for another year or two so we, we got a ways to go yeah yeah so let me let me lob one other thought thought point out and this is going to anger some people who listen to this that um are 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 very very uh in love with apple semiconductors so <laughs> the day that this changes for tsmc is the day that apple moves away from monolithic apple is the single greatest reason why they are maintaining leading edge adoption in terms of wafer commitments, because right, if you are a foundry, you need a customer who can guarantee you scale. That's Apple more so than anybody else. I didn't, that's Apple. The question I have, so, so, okay, so let me back up. So the, the way to think about this is Apple funds, TSMC's leading edge and any new innovations, right? They were, I think one of the first to adopt COOS for ultra, um, uh, ultra bonding of, of two chips. Apple does not make chiplets, but you could argue maybe that is, maybe that is it regardless. Apple would not say they make chiplets. Um, but Apple is is to TSMC what Intel is to now Intel Foundry. So Intel is, again, betting the farm not on monolithic. They are betting the farm on, on chiplets. So is there a risk that their commitment to Apple, if if we believe over the course of the next 10 years, we move to we move away from disaggregated design from monolithic to uh, to chiplets. I don't know about mobile, but whatever. It, is their commitment and deep, deep relationship to Apple in any way a hindrance of them adopting and advancing all of these areas that Intel is putting a lot more uh, equity into? That's a good argument. I think the flip side of that, though, is when does Apple start to rethink its architecture? Agreed. I don't know. And but... and, and then and then say, oh yeah, TSMC for the next A series, we need you to do something funky. That's and that's the day this changes. But 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 what if Apple's stubborn? What if they're like, you know what? We don't need to because we don't have to abide by the same economics as everybody else because we're vertical. Like you could you could argue that Apple could slow this down, and that TSMC will be in a pickle given how much they money. I mean, I'm completely speculating. I would love to see Apple adopt chiplets tomorrow. I think it would be fascinating and exciting, and the kind of crap that they could do in things like Vision Pro, high end desktops, and mobile devices would be amazing. But they don't even seem to be on that track. Like they seem to firmly be comfortable with monolithic over the long haul. So I agree with you. That's the, that's why I said the day this changes for TSMC and all of a sudden we're like, look at the, look at the wind for advanced packaging is the day that Apple moves that forward. I'm just slightly concerned, I guess that, that that does become a bit of a burden if if the market moves that way, their commitment to to Apple. Anyway, I'm just throwing that out there as a as a lobbed out thought experiment. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point, uh, but I think the the where do we test it? So on the PC side, I think we I think there's clear pressure now on on PC CPU makers to move towards chiplets. Right, AMD is there. 
already Intel's coming soon. Yep. Which makes me wonder when does the M series from Mac have to go down that path? Right. Um, while while you were talking, I looked up a, a die shot of the A series application processor for mobile, and it, it, I, I don't think it's something that lends itself readily towards chiplets. Agree. Be wrong. Maybe I'm missing something here. No, I, I would. But agree mostly, with you. what's there's a lot of heavy digital logic on there, which yep. really needs to big advantage yep. of being monolithic. Yep. Um, as opposed to a CPU, which has a lot more other things, I/O, memory stuff, which where the different pieces can go on different processes yep. more readily. Yep. So PCs, though, the A series, I think you could PCs, argue. though, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. PCs are, are going to push it in that direction. Uh, and let, let me let me throw out another one for you. Another because another major CPU customer for TSMC is going to be Intel. Yes, is right? already so, is already yes. Does so yeah. does it, it, so? It'd be interesting to see if Intel, as it pushes more into chiplets, how heavily it's going to lean on TSMC to do that, because that risks sort of funding yes. their biggest yes. competitor. I love this observation. I, I, I think everybody we should I, I, track this. It's such 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 a good observation. That's right. I don't, you, you, I don't know the the all the Intel roadmap lakes. I get them all confused. But like on that roadmap, I'm pretty sure they're they have at least the next two are which are going out TSMC are chiplet based. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that is going to help push TSMC in the right direction because maybe Apple doesn't move, but then some combination of AMD. Intel and in, Nvidia is going to push yes. TSMC to get down this path. Yeah. So, um, so the caveat, absolutely, Intel, I was going to say, absolutely, Apple will, would would make it happen much faster. Agreed. But I think you add up the other the, the PC side, one hundred percent, they get there. Anyway. I think the the caveat to the Intel point is that they will still do the packaging at Intel. They're just having the the, the, the wafers made by TSMC. And, and that's, again, that's a whole can of worms that we have to address. Like, do people want to do that? Like, do they want to, would they prefer, if TSMC had all the same advanced packaging uh, uh, tools, menus, um, options that, that, that Intel has, which I do believe are, is highly differentiated towards Intel's favor. But let's just assume that TSMC has those. Why would you leave? Like you, you would prefer to single source at your one foundry, right? So, so there's a, there's a real competitive analysis to this that's that's going to get done that I'm excited about. Um, but you but you're right, right? I think AMD and Intel, AMD and Nvidia in particular can move them in the right direction faster. But when you look at and and I've read all the different supply chain notes relative to Cowos and where they're going, when you look at how much they're investing in that compared to Intel, there will be a gap. I don't know how long that gap is and if the timing overlaps at all. But there's going to be a gap. And so that's why that's the, that's the only reason I make this point that like if we're trying to create the absolute bull case for Intel Foundry, it's that this bet pays off. They're well positioned because they have outspent TSMC and capabilities for advanced packaging and advanced systems manufacturing. And those timelines align correctly when said companies are like, you don't have what I need. And Intel does. Now, again. I don't know if that happens. I'm just presenting the ultimate bull scenario for for Foundry. Yeah, that makes sense. That's and that's we can end, we can end Foundry on that. Let's move to let's move to Nvidia. <laughs> yep. All right. Yep. Uh, 
this was a very clean quarter, uh, to be honest with you. So much weird stuff happened. One of the things I think is fascinating about NVIDIA, and I understand why. I don't like it, but I understand why. But there are there are way more non-institutional investors, so retail and uh, and traders in NVIDIA than any other semiconductor stock I've ever seen in history. It's super weird. Because of that, I had no idea what would happen. Like, what if they didn't beat enough? What if they didn't raise enough? Would the stock drop? And I think you saw, right, there was like some option calls that I think someone was saying was going to go between 150, maybe 200 uh, uh, billion in swings of uh, of dollar amount based on these calls. And it's like people had no idea, yet they had a moderate. I mean, again, I'm not going to say two billion dollars is is not a great beat, but you know, it's a moderate beat and a moderate raise. Again, two ish billion dollars. And at the end of the day, the stock was up like eight percent, ten percent. It jumped the next day, but it. It felt clean. There wasn't an overreaction in any way. So I don't know what to make of that. What what did you make of the, again, clean quarter, nothing shocking really, fairly moderate reaction. Like it didn't break the the world one way or the other. I, I You know, I remember in the distant past, four years ago, when the there were maybe... <laughs> before times, when maybe there were, uh, you know, ancient... Mists of the of yore, yes, when there yes. may be a thousand people who cared about Agreed. an Nvidia quarter, maybe a thousand, uh, people. and 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 now suddenly this quarter, the, the, like the fate of Western civilization rested. Our on whole one economy, one the United over. States' fate, hung on this earnings call. <laughs> it uh. is. It is. I so. I mean, my my conclusion I published my post was like, Nvidia, the company, is doing great. Yeah, right. Great. They're, they're doing great. Nvidia, the stock scares the scares me it's a wild. lot. Like I, it's wild, right? And and we we dealt with this. What was it like nine months ago? And there are all those crazy conspiracy oh, theories God. about what you know. And I was on that weird Twitter Oof. call, and people were just like, it was just full on Looney Tunes. Those people are still there. There's an yeah. immense amount of retail interest in the stock, and and I I I get it. I mean, like the 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 revenue earnings increase in in Absolutely. Nvidia in the last twelve months is something no one's ever seen before and we'll probably not see it again in our careers. I mean just yeah. amazing amazing shift. Yep. And so it's going to attract a lot of a lot of interest. I worry though that a huge amount of that interest does not have any idea what's going on. Agreed. Uh, and I know that I I know that like the average retail investor is is severely outclassed in understanding what's going to happen with absolutely with Nvidia stock, right? I mean Maybe if you're a, a retail investor, you have as good a sense of what GameStops is doing because you can go to a bunch of malls and look yourself. Like n- nobody knows what's going on with Nvidia and their supply chain. Like there are there are hedge funds who are paying huge amounts of money to tr- track it all down and figure it all out. Yep. Like retail investors cannot cannot compete with that, and it's a, it's a dangerous stock for retail investors. But but like I said, like to some degree, that doesn't matter. The, the company's doing well. They are. Yeah. So. I don't want. Yep. I don't want to fault them. It's not Nvidia's fault. Um, the only only thing I would add is that Nvidia has a, always had a hard time predicting its quarters. 
um, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's in the markets, and he he looked at the history of uh, Nvidia as a you know over the last twenty five years as a public company, and he says there's been three times in that history when the stock has drawn down over fifty percent in a quarter. Right, I mean, massive. This is massive swings. Big company. I, I don't think it's going to fall fifty percent on its next earnings call, but I like it's just it's priced so tightly. Like, yeah, if yeah. you know, if if, if, if Jensen like hiccups on his next earnings call or trips over a word or two, the stock could fall ten percent just because yeah. everything is so, yep, so raw and tense around it. Yep. So, so a, a financial point, and then I want to make a market point. Um, so the, the reality is, you know, again, I, I think it's reasonable to assume, and I had some talks with some of the folks on the, on the, on the sell side from, um, anyway, on the sell side who I looked, we, I looked at their models and, you know, they're projecting pretty solid, you know, double digit year over year revenue growth through the next couple of years. I think it's reasonable to assume they are going to grow. Now, how much are they going to grow? That's the question, right? They're going to grow. I, the issue I have is exactly what you said, is that I'm again concerned that there are outsized expectations in volume from those group that's in this that can create those swings so that if they come back and one quarter is only up 8%, I don't know if it is, I'm making this up, I'm just saying, versus the 15% that, that they're at for whatever reason, that people are just going to freak out, right? Because the growth is not the rate that they're assuming. And I say that because my biggest worry about all of this is can NVIDIA make enough products to even meet those revenue guides and expectations when we're up against capacity constraints? Now, they did say, so here's the two market points. They did say supply is easing. Great. However, GTC is coming in in May and... I've heard a product may get announced, which is showing that their product cadence has shrunk. So if product next, whatever it is, is coming and it has drastic performance upgrades, there's going to be lines out the door for that one as well that they then, that they then again can't go and make. And so you have this weird swing of product cadence, performance improvements, Demand in that supply chain, even if H100s get better, people are going to be like, well, I want the H200 or the B, you know, whatever it's going to be called. And and that's the 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 volume driver that, again, they can't go and make. And did they overmake H100s? Are people still okay? Probably. Supply is easing. Great. But those two things are my, my broader concern. And then one other market point. They made a point that I think is important where they said 40% of revenues were for inference. Now, we have had this debate, as with others, there's a huge conversation on is our GPUs the best place for inference? We know that the best place for training, NVIDIA will dominate the training era for AI, 100%. Are they the best place for inference? Meaning you just want to inference these things. And so it's it seems that people are buying these things and or using them for inference, which I don't know if that's sustainable, but at least for the time being, puts a little bit of uh, of confidence, I guess, that yes, the market will also adopt and use these for training. Okay, that's a lot. I, I and we're running up on time, but let me let me let me break that into three pieces. One, uh, I, I agree. Their product cadence is on the one hand impressive. H one hundred last year, H two hundred is coming out shipping this quarter. Next month 
everyone assumes they're going to launch B100, which is the next iteration of the H100, right? That comes out, that gets announced in, in a month and then ships early next year. And then we already have, you know, the, the code name, the X or the R100, which is announced maybe late this year, early next year. Like, I actually asked them this on the call. Like, aren't you guys worried about Osborne affecting yourself? Like you announce yep. a new product and everyone stops buying the old one. But they that doesn't apply to them because their backlog for the H100 is still so big that by the time they're actually shipping the B100, they may not have satisfied all demand. Now, that, that's a contentious point. Everyone on the street is debating how long the lead times really are for H100. I don't know. I don't really care. The point is, like, they're 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 pretty confident that demand is strong enough that they can keep moving it forward and that there'll still be H100 customers even as B100 starts shipping. I won't get into their explanation for it, but there's some credibility there. But whatever, it, it is, it, there's a little tension there. And and we don't know exactly how well the B100 will do, so it has to be much better. I mean, that's that's the other downside is if like B100 is only like, you know, a little bit better than H100, then, right? right? So that whole mix, right? Yep. But let's let's they, they've they've got a pretty good execution track record. Let's assume that it, it keeps going forward. Then it comes down to demand, which at this point I'm I think it's 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 pretty solid. Again, for for the company, for the stock, who knows? But for the company, I think demand is okay. The the second point though is sort of around uh, long term expectations, and here I think they have a little bit of an investor relations conundrum, and no no shade on Simona or her team. Like they're they're a little bit stuck because I think one of the critical weaknesses over history with NVIDIA is that Jensen really likes to talk big picture. And full credit to him, like he's he's right about AI and he's been talking about it for years. So having that big vision is important. It's gotten them where they are. The 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 wrinkle comes in the communication about it because when you ask him a question, especially on a call, he likes to talk about those big picture things. And that sort of infuses through what they have to talk about in their comms messaging. And so one of the things I picked up on is they're talking about the TAM, the total addressable market for data center silicon is going to double over the next five years yeah. from 250 billion to 500 billion, right? I, I posted on this today, you can go through the math, but what they're basically saying is the market's going to double over the next five years. And they strongly imply that they're going to capture most of that. And that's the, that's the big picture, which is, um, those are really big numbers. Yes. Right? You sort right. of, you, you work out the math. I was very conservative and I got like, you get to some crazy big, it's a big, it's a big numbers. It's a big assumption. It's a big assumption. And, and so talking about it now is just ratcheting up those expectations. That's, that's my concern is you have all these people with very heightened expectations and they're just doubled the TAM and threw kerosene on that. So there's a little that that is a, a an, like I said an investor relations dilemma they're going to have to that that will at some point come back to bite them. But you know the business is good. the The last point on inference, what they said was forty percent of their data center revenue is going towards inference. My my take is that it's just early days. Like the inference build out is is mm-hmm. you know by anybody's math, not just their doubling math, but by any math, like the inference is going to be a big big market. We just don't know yet. We're we're probably in first inning of of that inference build right. out, and right. I think they're seeing a lot more competition uh, on that front. Yes. Certainly, the big we'll companies, see, yes. the AMD's yes. and Intel and Qualcomm are all talking up inference really heavily. Uh, there are also a lot of interesting startups. I think we probably have a 
going to do a future episode on this. We have companies like Etched and Grok, Grok with a Q, that have Grok came out with some numbers this week, and everyone's been debating. Like they they look like they have a pretty good inference part for certain use cases. So there's a lot more competition there. So I I I don't think we know. I think there's a lot of pros and cons towards GPUs as inference. I think NVIDIA has a pretty strong story there. They have the the software ties that they're going to lean very, very heavily on. And for a lot of customers, if you have uh, NVIDIA GPUs for your training, you're going to, it's very easy to just use NVIDIA GPUs for inference. Mm-hmm. And I think that I wouldn't, I mean, again, technically it may not be as performant as some specialized ASIC for that. Right. But the software workload is a pretty significant uh, barrier to entry or competitive advantage towards NVIDIA. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, we just don't know yet, right? I, and I think in, NVIDIA has a good story here. They're not going to get 100% of the inference market like they do with Correct. training. Absolutely. But like big swings in outcome for everybody if they're 50% share or 20% share of inference. Yeah. Yeah. Those, are, those are radically different worlds we live in. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right, let's wrap there. We are up against our longest, almost longest episode ever. Hopefully everybody appreciates the rich uh, conversation. More more to discuss. Obviously, next week will be Mobile World Congress happenings, learnings, uh, discussions from the bars as Jay twists people's ears about the the goodness. Um, So with that, we appreciate everybody's time, and we will talk to you next week. Adios, gracias, vaya con Dios. I'll see you all in Barcelona. Thank you.